I walked into a TD Ameritrade branch probably in 2012, and they rolled out the red carpet for me, and I was like, wait, what is going on? They told me that I had paid $11,000 in commissions for that year. And I thought that I was investing. I thought that I was like doing Warren Buffett style investing, but, but I wasn't. I was trading a lot. And I think that was probably the catalyst for me to go into my journal and read everything that I was doing. I said, I was day trading basically. I didn't realize, not basically, I didn't realize it, but I mean, I was holding stuff overnight. Uh, I wasn't like literally intraday day trading. At least I didn't feel like I was, but in some cases I was, but I was trimming around positions and I was just, I was trading a lot. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Michael Batnick. Michael, are you ready to rock? Let's rock and let's roll. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Batnick is a director of research at Ritholtz Wealth Management. His career began with a sales position at a life insurance company. In May 2018, he published his book, Big Mistakes, The Best Investors and Their Worst Mistakes. And ladies and gentlemen, I tried to, tried to finish it when I knew I got this interview, but I have to admit that I only got through a part of it because we had the day off today in Bangkok, Thailand. So I spent a little time on it, but it's fantastic. In fact, the first story talks about us. Benjamin Graham being down, what, 70%? I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. So Michael holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Queens College. Michael, take a minute and fill in any tidbits about your life. Okay. I am extremely fortunate to be in the position, position that I am because I did not take my education seriously. And I paid the, the price for that in 2008. When I graduated, obviously the world was in a bit of chaos and I got a job that was pretty much open to anybody willing to take this job and that is selling life insurance. And I didn't even know that that was the world that I signed up for. I was incredibly naive and I knew nothing, but I was excited to have the opportunity to have even a job in the industry. And so I learned pretty quickly what it was. And unfortunately, I, I was there for a year and a half. And the only reason why I was there for so long was because I didn't have any other place to go right? The world was, the economic world was in, in chaos. My natural network was non-existent. I had nothing to offer anybody. And so I paid the price for failing to take my education seriously. And I was unemployed for, for two years until I met Josh Brown. And that is how I got to where I am. Fantastic. Well, that's a, a good story. And you're at a quite a great place. I mean, one of the things that brings you into my world is just uh, reading all the the things that you write, which are very valuable, I think, for, uh, for investors out there, and of course, the book. So, all right, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story. So there are so many to choose from, not exaggerating. I have so many lousy investments. I think the fortunate thing is that I never, I don't really have any big losses. So there's not anything particular that stands out. There's a lot of ones that I look back and shake my head at as if, for instance, there was uh, early on when Netflix spun off the uh, DVD thing or they were thinking about it. And uh, I don't know, I just, I bought weekly puts for no reason. And I maybe multiply my money tenfold. And I was like hooked on options and I was having the time of my life. And there were times where like this happened more than once 
where I bought calls instead of puts going into earnings the next day. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm bearish now. Uh, and so like there was, I was just, I was gambling. I was literally gambling and just having a great time. I didn't tell anybody I was gambling, but that's, you know, looking back, that's what it was. And so I did that for a while where I was just, I tried fundamental research. I tried technical and I was bad at all of it. But I think one thing that might stand out was in 2013, I got married and I was paying for the wedding and I decided that I just needed to do something different. I'm sort of reconstructing the story in my head because I don't remember the exact details, but I bought Apple and I had a, di a decent position. It was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe 10% of my portfolio. And I said, this is one that I can hold, right? Like it's Apple. This one is not one that you trade. It's one that you hold. The stock market in 2013 was going wild. It was up 30% on the year. It took out the 07 highs. Everything was doing well, except I think Apple had a 30% drawdown that year, if I'm getting my story straight. And the stories was that Samsung was really coming for them. It was eating their lunch. And I don't remember if I sold near the bottom, but I certainly sold probably after a 20% loss, 25% loss, whatever it was. You know what? That would be a decent loss. Maybe that was probably the biggest loss I took, but it wasn't like, it didn't like blow a hole in my, in my portfolio. It was probably, um, it was probably a 2% loss, something like that. So that was probably the biggest loss that I took. But in terms of what my worst investment was, like I said, there were seriously, there were so many. And I think one of the reasons that I sort of smelled the roses fairly early on was because I was keeping a diary. And I think a lot of people don't even have a sense of what their performance actually is. I think they probably in inflate the numbers to make themselves feel better. But I couldn't do that because I was literally writing everything down. And I wasn't just writing down what I was doing. I was writing down why I was doing it. And when I would go back and read my notes, inevitably, it sounded absolutely ridiculous. I was talking, you know, I was conflating timeframes. I was trying to do value investing on a short-term time basis. And just everything that I was doing was just chaos. And it was just reading it was ridiculous. And I still have that diary and it's, it's hilarious to read. It's very cringeworthy, but whatever. Those were my own words. So I wasn't able to lie to myself because I had my own words in writing. I walked into a TD Ameritrade branch probably in 2012 and they rolled out the red carpet for me and I was like, wait, what is going on? They told me that I had paid $11,000 in commissions for that year. And I thought that I was investing. <laughs> I, I had no You're idea that I was a customer. Yeah, exactly. I thought that I was like, you know, doing Warren Buffett style investing, but, but I wasn't, I was trading a lot. And I think that was probably the catalyst for me to go into my journal and read everything that I was doing. I said, oh shit, I really was, I was day trading basically. I didn't realize, not basically, I didn't realize it, but I mean, I was holding stuff overnight. Uh, I wasn't like literally intraday day trading. At least I didn't feel like I was, but in some cases I was, but I was trimming around positions and I was just, I was trading a lot. And I read everything that I, that I wrote and I just said, all right, this, uh, this doesn't work. There's gotta be a better way. And um, that was my story with trading. And so I don't really do much of that anymore because, you know, every once in a while I have to remind myself, like every once in a while when I, when I think I have a, a hunch, I have to remind myself that my intuition is pretty terrible with the market, just like everybody else's. I don't, you know, I'm not beating myself up over it because nobody knows where the market is going. Like, mm. so I, I do think that there are certain risk management things that you could put into place. So I'm not saying that having an active management, not stock picking, but like, I think there are ways to intelligently 
manage risk. And that's not what I was doing. What did you learn from this? I mean, clearly one of your learnings is about the journaling. I'm curious about whether, how journaling really helps because there's people out there in, that are listening that would think, why would that help? But what happened when you went back to your journals? And did that well, permanently change kind of the way that you think about the way that you think? Uh, yes, it did. Because I was writing, I mean, I was writing commentary for myself, just justifying, okay, I'm shorting Amazon, you know, for the obvious reasons, valuation, or I'm whatever it was like, I just had such a, it just gave me such an appreciation of how complicated markets are and that there is a lot of dynamics at play that the price to earnings and often there's good reasons why stocks appear expensive. I was shorting uh, Green Mountain Coffee. I think that got bought out by Coke or Pepsi, probably, you know, 10x when I was shorting it. I tried buying stuff that appeared cheap, which was inevitably on the 52-week low list. Um, so if I were to go back, if I, let's say I was, I started to trade immediately today. I think I learned a lot of valuable lessons. I'm not sure that I can implement what I learned because the emotions just get in the way. And I don't think that I have any sort of special sauce or like I am very emotional, especially when I see like money on the line, just like everybody else's. <laughs> so I think that I've learned really valuable lessons. And the lesson is that the Stanley Druckenmillers of the world, you know, one in a billion. And, um, you know, that's not me. That's another question is that maybe uh, you could also just tell us you know, what were some of the key learnings that you had from, from the book? I mean, you've gone through big mistakes by the biggest investors. It's interesting just to kind of bring to, to my audience a couple of things. And I think, I mean, I'm already a quarter of the way through the book and finding it fascinating. And I know my audience will check it out and get it. But I'm just curious if you could sum up a few of the things that you learned from that, from these yeah. types. Very few of the mistakes that the investors made were like in a spreadsheet where they failed to quantify properly future cash flows or anything like that. It was, it was emotional, just like everybody else. Like, um, I think that the difference between successful investors, like super successful investors and the rest of us is that they are able to move past it. At least some of them are, are able to move past the mistakes because they understand that you don't need to bat, forget a thousand, you need a very small slugging percentage to have extraordinary success in the market. If you, if you are picking individual stocks, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. You're wrong, okay, okay, move on. But I think most people have such pride and I think like just mental scar tissue builds up and they start to feel animosity towards the stock market. And they start to have thoughts like, oh, just my luck, I'll buy this stock and then it, it'll go down. Or just my luck, I'll sell and then it'll go up. Uh, but the market doesn't care about you. And I think like people just get so emotional. You have to have a system in place. There has to be rules. I'm a big believer in having rules when you're investing, whether that is just a simple checklist of the type of stocks you buy or some risk management system where I will sell if I'm down 20% or... I will buy in tranches and I will add when I'm down 20% or I will add, uh, you know, I will buy a quarter over the next, over the next uh, six months on this day. Like whatever it is, you have to have a plan ahead of time because if you buy a stock and you are hoping that it goes up, 
it is very difficult to check yourself. And I don't think that it can be done unless you are a sociopath. I just don't think that you can remove emotions. Um, and I don't care who you are. I don't, you know, you can read every behavioral finance book in the world, but the problem is that you think that applies to everybody else instead of you. If you write a journal and you're writing your logic down, you'll find very quickly that the biases that you're just as susceptible to them as anybody else's. Yeah. Uh, I remember reading your money and your brain, yep. such a great book by Jason Zweig. You know, I just realized that investing is a truly is a biological, you know, emotional, physical thing that you never even think about until you, you know, really realize that that's what's going on. Um, another question I just have for you then, based upon kind of what you've learned about yourself, about the market, about all that you've written and, and looked at, when you look at clients of yours, and let's just group them into maybe a couple of different buckets. I would say, let's say there's client that's very risk averse, doesn't, you know, doesn't want to get involved in picking stocks or anything. Let's say there's another one that says, uh, I, I do want to pick some stocks and all that. I'm just curious, like some generic or general advice or procedures that you help them with to think about, you know, how to invest. So I just have to be very clear that I am not a financial advisor. So I am not client facing in, in that sense. But what our advisors do to mitigate that as best as we can is there's a few things. One, definitely most important is that we do not make any recommendations until we have completed a financial plan. Because at the end of the day, why are we investing? Like, what is the purpose of taking this risk and this, this agony of the stock market? The point is to sustain our lifestyle. So that can only be determined through a financial plan. So you have to keep that in mind. And let's just say that the stock market goes down 30%, which it will at some point, and maybe, and probably even more at some point. You say, listen, the, the plan has taken into account the fact that we can sustain temporary losses like this. Like this doesn't change your life. This doesn't change your retirement plans. This is part of investing. We've spoken about this a million times. Here is your plan and it's still in play. That's one tangible step that you can take. With absent plan, if your investing is not tied to anything, it's tough. The other thing is that we understand that buy and hold investing in index funds is very difficult to beat. Very difficult. Very few people beat the market over a long period of time. And the reason why very few people beat the market over long periods of time is because buying and holding the market for long periods of time is sort of impossible. And the reason it's sort of impossible is because of 2000 to 2002, of because 07 to 09, because these giant 50%, not drawdowns, 50% like crashes. They're emotional. You don't know in real time that the bottom is in or that stocks are going to come back. It's so difficult to stay invested. So we marry the idea of buying and holding uh, globally diversified portfolios with, with a part of your money with intelligent risk management style on the other. So we're not black, black or white. We're not saying this is the way to invest. That's not the way to invest. So we combine the best of Gene Fama with the best of Bob Schiller. And Gene Fama, of course, is a sufficient market hypothesis. Don't do anything. Everything is in the price versus Bob Schiller. No bubbles exist. People are crazy. We've taken the best of both of them, I think, to combine a you know, sensible strategy where we say, listen, most of your money should very low turnover, very low touch. Let the market do the heavy lifting. 
with a piece of your portfolio to say, hey, listen, sometimes the market gets a little bit crazy and we need to protect ourselves from our worst instincts of selling uh, near the bottom. So that's, that's how we provide value on that side. Yeah, and when you talk about these big crashes that happen in the market, the only time they really hurt is when you sell at that point. <laughs> in fact, a study that I did a while ago looked at um, three years, five years out from the bottom and saw that about 85% of the time that every major dip had been back to, to prior peak within five years. And if yeah. you go out further than that, it's going to be 100%. So yeah, sometimes the, the hardest thing is not to act. And I guess uh, what, what you guys are able to provide is a sounding board, put the plan back in front of people's faces and say, remember, this is what's, we knew this would, could happen. This is what we had pre-planned of kind of how we were going to think about this when this came. Is that, is that, that's sound? right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then a lot of content and education and reminding people, and it's not that we say to people, Hey, don't worry about it because when stocks fall, there's usually bad news and, and a recession and, people losing their jobs and it's not fun. And we can't say to people, by the way, we can't say, don't worry, stocks come back because the truth is, how do we know that? We know that historically stocks have come back, but we also know that like say 1966 to 1982, 16 year period, stocks went nowhere. So we can't make claims like that. Uh, we can remind people that, listen, usually this is what happens, but we can say, Selling because you're scared is just not the right way to invest. That guarantees trouble because you're never going to wash your, your brain of that. You are going to carry that experience with you forever. And uh, if somebody sells after a 30% decline in the stock market, I mean, we can't get them. We can't take them through that. Then that is a failure on our part. And, and we obviously hope to not be in that position. Yeah. So I think my main takeaway from what you've told is, you know, the, the concept of pre-planning for the worst case so that yes. you have thought about it and you have a plan or something to go to fall back on otherwise you're just going to fall back on your horrific feeling and the emotions that you know will, will drive you to do the wrong thing so i would say out of all the things that you said that's probably my biggest takeaway that's about right um, there's one last thing um, I'm going to ask you in a moment for some one piece of actionable advice, but I'm going to tie it back to something that you said at the beginning of the discussion, and that is that you were playing with options in the beginning. And I have a person, a, a student of mine, a former student of mine, who's now making good money and is starting to invest and getting very excited. I mean, the internet is full of ads and charts and graphs and fantastic stories of people making money with options. And, you know, I have written a book that this student of mine has already read called How to Start Building Your Wealth Investing in the Stock Market. And really, it's about simple ETF or, you know, passive funds system and just try to get that in place. But sometimes it's just so exciting. Everybody's making money out there with something like options. Uh, and so I just want to ask for your, what I would say is like, what would, what would be one action that you'd recommend my listeners? to take to prevent them from suffering some of the same fate that you've described about yourself plus other clients that you've seen. And for a moment, I would like for that to be towards the audience members that really aren't that exposed in the market and are new to the market. What would be the best number one actionable advice? Because journaling is a great advice, but for that person that's kind of being excited about trading in options because there's a chart on the internet that showed me that people make money trading in options. So just curious about your answer to that question. I would tell them to just get started, but be careful. 
don't risk too much money, lose money, uh, because that's the only way that you're going to learn. And believe me, you will lose money, but keep it reasonable. Keep it small. Don't put yourself in a position where you're overextending yourself. But I don't think that anybody could tell you how to invest. Nobody could say, don't buy active mutual funds. Don't buy index funds. They're boring. Don't do this. Don't do that. You have to figure it out on your own. And some people never get there. Some people are just forever spinning their wheels and jumping from one thing to, to the other. But the only way to learn what style of investing matches your personality is to invest. And nobody can tell you what it feels like to lose money. So you just have to experience that on your own. But on the way to losing money, be careful. Watch out for charlatans because there's a lot of people that overpromise that are just literally preying on your naivete. So just be careful and start losing money, but be responsible while you do it. Michael, that's really interesting advice, type of advice that you don't often hear, which is a lot of times you would hear, and my inclination would be to tell her, don't do it. But I think what your advice is, is interesting about is go ahead and try with your own money <laughs> yep. and do it in a very limited way. And yeah, you, know, do it. You, you could be the next successful option trader in the world, you know, but yeah. when you yeah. do it with a little bit of money, then at least if you lost from it, you would learn much more than anything that myself or someone else could say. So I think that's really great advice. I appreciate that. Is there anything else yeah. you would add? No, I, I think that's good yeah. final thoughts, I think. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources. To help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And as we wrap up, Michael, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just thank you for listening, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, it's great having you on, and I encourage the audience to read the book. There's so much to learn from big mistakes, the best investors, and their worst investment. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.